Today we continue our Lenten series, uh, just a closer talk with thee as we explore crucial conversations Jesus has with people in the Bible. Um, and in these conversations, we hope to learn more about who Jesus is and who we are in turn. As we're exploring conversations with Jesus, today's reading of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well seems particularly fitting. That's because this is actually, and by quite a bit, the longest conversation Jesus has with another person in the Gospels. And this is significant that it happens in the Gospel of John, where as uh, my New Testament professor and our Lindsay lecturer this fall, Francis Taylor Gench, says, in John, Jesus is prone to monologue. It's hard for anyone else to get a word in edgewise. She quips that a good catchphrase for the gospel would be, wordy is the lamb. But here, in this unlikely conversation, with an unlikely conversation partner, Jesus makes a deep and personal connection. And since it's quite a long reading, we'll be pausing about halfway through to reflect together. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fourth chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the fifth verse. So we came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you say that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Let's stop here. So just before our reading, Jesus decides to go through Samaria with his disciples. John is the only gospel where Jesus and his disciples take this route. In a sense, Samaria is between Judea and Galilee, but it wasn't necessarily on the way. This seems especially odd since Jews and Samaritans didn't like one another, and the gospel makes that clear. See, they had a shared heritage but disagreed bitterly over many things, namely who were the true heirs of ancient Israel. They easily could have bypassed Samaria as many Jews would have and did. Jesus' stop in Samaria isn't geographically necessary. It's theologically necessary. His stop there crossed social and ethnic boundaries for their days. But it also showed the enactment of the beloved verse in the previous chapter we read together last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here, Jesus shows us what John 3.16 looks like, and it happens through an unlikely encounter at the well. Our reading opens with a vulnerable Jesus who is both alone and thirsty. The next time this will happen will be from the cross, as he says, I thirst. A Samaritan woman approaches, and Jesus asks her for a drink from the well as she comes to draw water. Remember from last week, John loves to tell us what time of day it is to heighten a story. Last week, we met a Pharisee, Nicodemus, who met Jesus at night. Remember Nick at night? Today, John gives us the polar opposite, an unnamed Samaritan woman who comes to Jesus at noon, the brightest, hottest part of the day. The time of day here underscores a couple of things for readers that this is the opposite of the story from the last chapter. But also that there was a reason she had to come to the well at noon and not at the more desired time of day of dawn, when most women would gather to draw water they needed for that day. Here John gives us a heads up that this woman is somehow outcast. Though she was far from an elite person, she did have one thing Jesus did not, access to this well, the well of her ancestors. Jesus' very human thirst becomes the moment that allows for their conversation to take place. The woman is, a, is surprised, of course. A Jewish man wants water from me, a Samaritan? This cultural gaffe allows Jesus to offer this woman living water by which you'll never be thirsty again. The woman pleads Jesus for this living water, and this water sparks her curiosity and allows her to engage Jesus in a theological dialogue. So Jesus' thirst starts the conversation, but it's the woman's thirst that takes this exchange to a deeper theological level. Jesus asks the woman to call her husband and come back, to which she says she has no husband. 
Jesus responds that she doesn't have one husband but five, and the one to whom she is married now is not her husband. Now, too often at this point in the story, pastors over the years have honed in on the woman's sin, and they turn it into a forgiveness story. Notice that Jesus neither says that she's sinful, nor does he ever offer her forgiveness. It seems more likely to Jesus that this woman is a victim of sin rather than a perpetrator. By naming her marital history, Jesus acknowledges that she's been stuck in an institution known as Levirate marriage. When a woman's husband dies, the eldest brother marries her, and if he dies, the next oldest, and so on. At any point, one of these men can refuse to marry, and as such, the woman is tossed aside and loses any status in the community which is likely what Jesus meant by saying her current husband is not really her husband. This is likely why she had to come to the well at the least desirable time of day, noon, the hottest part of the day. This woman is not sinful. Rather, she's been discarded, tossed aside, forgotten. Since John doesn't give her a name, she represents all in our midst, who've been discarded and forgotten. It is this discarded person that Jesus approaches at the well and offers her living water. It's in this moment she knows that Jesus sees and embraces her just as she is. And this moment allows Jesus to reveal himself for the first time as Messiah. Jesus reveals himself who he truly is not to the disciples, not to elite Nicodemus we met last chapter, but to this unnamed, oppressed Samaritan woman. Here we see John 3.16 enacted, and the boundary-shattering love of God fully revealed. Let's see what happens next, beginning with verse 27. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. The Samaritan woman, this biblical underdog, becomes the first witness to the Gentile world in John's gospel. And how she does this is truly fascinating. First, as she leaves the well, she also leaves her jar behind. She has no need for it now. She has living water. She's no longer thirsty. When she goes back to her community, she echoes words Jesus himself has used in the gospel. When Jesus calls the first disciples in John's gospel, he doesn't say, follow me, like in the other three. Rather, he says, come and see. When the woman goes to share what happened to her at the well, she says the exact same words. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? The Samaritans, in turn, do just that. They go to see Jesus, and they believe because of her witness. Like the first disciples, the Samaritans ask Jesus to abide with them. That Greek word here is meno, and it's one of John's favorites. The Samaritans thirst for the Messiah, for redemption and inclusion, just like the disciples did. As Christ abides with the Samaritan, so does his grace. Because of this woman's curiosity, because of her thirst, the boundaries of the kingdom are extended to the Samaritans, and the grace of Christ is able to abide, meno, with them. This becomes a story not just about thirst and Jesus' identity as Messiah, but it also becomes a story about inclusion, about a table extended to include those who were once left out. Each party in the story... Jesus, the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan community were excluded from one another in some way at the beginning of the story. But some 40 verses later, we see that all of them have been brought together. And how did the string of transformational events happen? It happened through Jesus knowing and embracing this woman at the well. Hear her words again that converted the community. Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her when no one else would. But Jesus also knew her. He truly knew her as a unique child of God. And friends, Jesus sees and knows each of us too. We all have things we'd rather Jesus not know about us. Our faults, our shortcomings, perhaps even our doubts and fears. This conversation shows us that Jesus knows all these things about us and much more, but loves us anyways and calls us anyways. Like the Samaritan woman leaving her jar behind to go and spread good news, The question to us then becomes, what are some things we can leave behind at the well? What are some burdens we could be freed of that we might boldly follow Jesus and share his love and good news with the world? Friends, in this trying time, with so much uncertainty and fear, may this conversation 
this transformational, life-changing conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman empower us and remind us that Jesus truly knows us, truly knows each of us, and that Jesus calls us each to go and be ambassadors of his good news and love. May we go and do just that. Amen.